0: Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening and may God bless you abundantly. So we've been in the Gospel of John and uh, last week we saw... This transition between the John the Baptist and um, Jesus, right? We saw kind of the passing of the baton of John the Baptist's ministry, where he, he now is decreasing and Jesus is increasing, where we see that John's ministry that was from heaven, right? We talked about how John's ministry was from heaven because John did everything that God called him to do. It didn't make sense in the eyes of man, but he went out Led by the Spirit, he proclaimed the message of repentance, baptized the baptism of repentance. He had the eyes to see who Jesus was as the coming lamb that would be slain for the sins of the world. So everything was led by God. And and so when Jesus comes, John says, I was the best man. And the best man's job at that time, one of his jobs was to take the bride to the groom. And John says, I did it. I brought the bride, I grabbed the bride, I took the bride, the church, I prepared their minds, did it as the herald, and I brought the bride to the groom, and now that the bride is with the groom, my job is done, okay? My job is completed, and that was what John saw last week. Now, before we jump into this morning, I do want to say this. I watched last week's message, and I I, I cringed a little bit, honestly, Um, because Now you guys, if you were missed it, you guys are like, oh, I want to see what he said. Uh, Last week I was talking about, and I mentioned this idea of the church kind of, we can get caught up in doing things our way and calling it God's ministry. We get caught up in doing things that make sense in the eyes of man, doing the business model, and and then just saying it's God's ministry, meanwhile we've done nothing that God has called us to do. And, and the whole point of that was not, there was no underlying intention behind it. The whole point really was to kind of draw the aspect of that it's so easy for not just the church to do it, but for us to do it in our lives. Now, the one thing I wanted to clarify, okay, was that I in no way was saying that the Weld Church is God's gift to Haywood County, and other churches are all wrong, okay? Like, I wasn't saying that, uh, you know, because that... There are, there are times where y'all are going to get mad at me for things I mean to say. And I just wanted to make sure y'all didn't get mad at me for something I didn't mean to say, okay? so It's like when my wife gets mad at me, I'm like, you can't get mad at me for things that you thought I said, okay? Well, that's how I received it. I don't care how you received it. That's not what I said, okay? And so there's plenty of things to get mad at when that I say and mean that you can get mad at. So I just want to make sure... We're clear, the well is an awesome church, and any pastor would all say, this is, the, the, this is an amazing church, and this is a blessed church, and this is an awesome church. Hopefully, every pastor would say that, right? This is, God's doing something special here. If they're not, if they're like, ah, oh, yeah, we're kind of a dying church, but it's OK, then I mean, like, it's time to move on, all right? But, but God is doing something awesome here, but I know a lot of pastors in Haywood County, and they're doing awesome, and they're trying to serve God, and they're doing it, and we're not perfect. We mess up. We're not doing things exactly the way that God has intended in areas, and we're working on that, and our heart is geared towards that. We want to see God moving and weeding out the, 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 the weeds and weeding out the stuff that we have put in place, and we want to see what God has to, uh, in store for the church. So I just want you guys to know my heart. If you know my heart, then you didn't take it that way. If you don't know my heart, you know, I can come across as a jerk. So um, all my life, everybody I've ever met says, when I first met you, I thought you were a jerk every... I don't know if it's the face, if it's the, it's the... I don't know what it is. But then they're like, now I know you, and I was right. Um, so um, let's move on. We're, we're in the gospel of John. Just wanted to clarify that. Gospel of John. What's the purpose of John? Believe. To believe, right? To become a living knowledge of Jesus Christ. What's the verse, our, our theme verse? John... 20, verse 3, 1. But these were were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, right? And that believing you may have life in his name right? That's the purpose of the gospel of John. That's why we call it the gospel of life, because it is John trying to get us to receive the true Jesus, so that by receiving the true Jesus, we will have true life. Now, this morning, we're moving on to chapter 4, and in chapter 4, right, in chapter 4, what we're going to see is a very popular narrative. In fact, this church was named after this narrative, right? This church was named after this story. It's the story of the woman at the well, okay? The woman at the well, the well. You see the correlation? It's a, it, it just fits. It works. Um, it kind of, you got to really dig deep into it theologically to find out where we got the name. Uh, but it's the story of the woman at the well. Now, before we jump into the story of the woman at the well, I want to make sure that we pray, okay? We're going to stop and pray real quick because we're going to come to this story with, with our eyes kind of tainted, um, because we've heard this sermon. We've heard this story. We've studied this story. Most of us probably can tell you this story. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not saying we're going to have some new man in this morning that's going to be like blowing your mind. Wow, I've never heard about that. Um, but a lot of times when we come to the, the Bible, when we come with that preconceived notions of we already understand it, we're going to miss what God really is saying to us. We're going to miss because we've already said this is what it means. This is what it says. I don't need to know anything else about it. Let me go just check my Instagram while he's talking because I already know this verse. Like That's going to mess us up because God is trying to speak, and God has spoken so many new things this morning. It's in this verse to me in my life, and I've even preached on this, and there's some things I'm like, I, I didn't preach right that last time, but... Um, I preached on this message, and and it's like God has just opened my eyes. So let's pray that God just gives us new heart, new wisdom. Father, I thank you that your word is living and breathing, that your spirit breathes through your word. It takes your word, and it changes us, your children, into the image of your son. Lord, I thank you that you have given us this your word to direct us and guide us and to be able to see who you are the invisible God that has clearly made himself known through his son, through his word. And so Lord, I praise you for this truth. But Lord, I pray that you give rid of anything that's going to distract us this morning, give rid of any preconceived notions, give rid of any ideas that are from man's teaching and not from the Bible and not from your spirit. Lord, I pray that you open our eyes to some new truth this morning that will change, not just for knowledge purposes, but for the reality that our lives will be changed and transformed by your word and your spirit. Father, thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. amen all right so let's jump in we got a lot to cover it's a big story awesome stuff therefore so this is john 4 chapter 1 chapter, no john 4 verse 1 um, therefore when the lord knew that the pharisees had heard that jesus made and baptized more disciples than john though jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples and in some of your translations because in the original greek it says but his disciples baptized he left Judea or Judah and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which was called Sychar which was near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hours. Let's stop right there. So here Jesus is. Remember last week, Jesus, he goes off out of Judea and he goes to the kind of outer like suburbs of Judea and starts to be with his disciples and baptizing people. The disciples of John said, all people are going to Jesus. And remember that when John's ministry started to get big and popular, who showed up? Those Pharisees, you know, they're just sniffing around like, what is this guy about, right? And now Jesus's ministry is starting to become popular. Who's showing up? Pharisees. are sniffing around. So what's happening here is Jesus, the last thing that Jesus wanted out of his ministry to begin his ministry in some kind of rivalry between John and Jesus, right? Because the rivalry wasn't there with John. John rejoiced that Jesus's ministry was increasing and his ministry was decreasing. Jesus said there's no greater man than John. But we already see jealousy with John's disciples. Now we're seeing the Pharisees sniffing around and saying, well, uh, he, he's... Gaining more disciples than John. And so they're starting to kind of pin John and Jesus against each other. So Jesus is like, okay, before this even begins, I'm going out. He's going north. So Jesus goes as far as he can away from John just to get that separation. And he goes to Galilee. So they're in southern Judea, right? And he goes to northern Israel, Galilee, on the other side of Samaria. Now, we, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I've, I've gone into depth on the hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. If you, there's some past sermons where I've gone like full on what is the historical purpose of this. But just know this, the Samaritans and the Jews despised one another. The Samaritans and Jews, the Jews despised the Samaritans so much that rather than going to Galilee straight through Samaria, which was the fastest road... They would either go west around the the Mediterranean or they'd go east around the Jordan. It would add days to their travel, hours to travel, and they would not just, just so they don't have to touch Samaritan soil or have any kind of contact with the Samaritan. That's how much they despise each other. I would rather travel an extra day than cut through and have the chance that I would talk to a Samaritan, right, or have to see one. Look upon their nasty, mutt face. That's what they thought. They were inbreed mutts, right? They, they blended with this pagan idolatry. And so it says that Jesus, though, he takes his disciples and it said that he had to go through Samaria. Now, here's the problem. Jesus didn't have to do that, Right? I, like I just said, most Jews went the other way. Most Jews went around. Most Jews went to the west, went to the east. They didn't go through. So Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. Now, what's interesting, though, about this idea of Jesus had to, that phrase, that verb had to is the verb day, or day. And really, John uses this verb every time Jesus does something that is fulfilling the purposes of the Father. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He was fulfilling the purposes of the Father. Remember what he says in the next chapter. Jesus says, and the Son can do nothing of himself, but he sees the Father do. Uh, for what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Jesus says, look, I'm done. I do everything that the Father tells me. I speak everything that the Father says. My life is in obedience, complete surrenderance to the will and purposes of the Father. Just like we talked about last week, obedience and perfect surrender to God's ministry, God's purposes, God's plan. Now here Jesus is again, he is surrendered to the will of the Father. So right from the bat, we can see that this interaction with this woman is being set up to be not a coincidence. This is not a chance. This is not a happenstance. This was ordained, this was an ordained appointment by the Father, fulfilled through the obedience of the Son, recorded through John, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This was a Trinitarian event. Amen? Amen. Amen. Like, this was ordained by the Father. Now, I want to say, say this. Now, I don't want to spend too much uh, time here, but I sure I sure am. Uh, I do want to say that we see this in our own lives. Honestly, I just want to stop there. When you are committed to the will and purposes of God, when you wake up every morning and say, God, where are you moving? God, what are you doing? And when you make decisions in your every day, like we said last week, every day in your work, in your, in your schools, in your jobs, if you, if you make the decisions based off of what God wants, not what makes sense in the, the eyes of man, what you're going to find is you have a lot more ordained appointments in your life than you would normally have. There are a lot more people that God wants you to come in contact with. There are a lot more things that God has planned for you than your every single day, eat your Cheerios, go to work, come back, grow, griple at your kids and go to bed. That's not the plan that God has for you. God has so much going on in your life in the interactions with your family, interactions with your kids, interactions with your coworkers, interactions with the people at the grocery store, interactions with the church community. God has so much that he wants for you. Our problem is, is we choose to do it our way. We choose to be in our own bubble. We choose to do it the man's way and not listening and obedience to what God is going. This is an ordained event by God because Jesus did everything God said to do. Amen? Amen. So now... He goes through Samaria and he gets to a city called Sikhar. Now, Saqqar is, is modern day um, um, Ascar, which is a parcel of land that uh, was given to, it's near Shechem or near Sekar, Uh, but it was given to Jacob, right? Remember when Jacob was in Haran, Uh Jacob was in Haran, and Jacob returned after 20 years from Herod and bought this land in Shechem. And then when Jacob was about to die, he, do, he donated or gave his land to his son, Joseph, Joseph dies, right, in Egypt. They bury his body in Egypt. But then when the Egyptians left, Egypt, because they rescued, God saved them. They grabbed the bones of Joseph, and they went into the desert with the bones of Joseph. And then when they get finally get to the promised land, years, years later, led by Joshua, what did they do? They took the bones of Joseph, and they buried them in Shechem, the land that Jacob bought, right here in the promised land. So right now, not only that, but it also says that Jacob built this well. So this well was Jacob's well. So this land is very, very important for the Jews and for the Samaritans. This has a history all the way back to Jacob, And Joseph, the patriarch, Jacob. So now, he's in this important land. It's the sixth hour, which is noon. He's tired. He's sitting down. The stage is set. Jesus is in the right place at the right time. What happens? A woman of Samaria comes to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The woman, then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew Ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So once again, she's just kind of referring to that hatred. Jesus comes and says, hey, can you give me a drink? And she says, well, what dealings do you have with me? And what we're going to see is the fact that she's sitting here at 12 o'clock. Because remember in Genesis, Genesis says that the the women would come in the evening, in the cool of the day. Most of us have heard this story. We know this kind of concept, that the reason, the fact that she is there in the heat of the day by herself, not conjugating or or congregating with the other women, other people getting water, she's avoiding people. It already sets up the idea that she is walking in shame. So now Jesus, being a Jew, is talking to not only a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman, not only just a Samaritan woman, but a disgraced amongst her own people Samaritan woman. This is the worst of the worst of the worst. And Jesus is having now a conversation with this woman. If a Pharisee saw Jesus doing this, he would be unclean. He'd be disgraced, right? So what is, where does the conversation go? Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who, is, who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked and, uh, ask him, and he would have given you living water. Amen. All right, so what is this living water. Jesus Jesus says to the Samaritan, he turns around and turns around to her, if you would have known who you're talking to, I asked you for water. If you would have known who you're talking to, you would have asked me for water. What is it that Jesus is offering? What does it mean to offer living water? We have to go back to the Old Testament. This is not a new concept. This is not a new idea. What Jesus is offering is exactly what God offers in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 12, this is what God says. Behold, God is my salvation. I will put my trust uh, I will put my trust and not be afraid for Yahweh the Lord is my strength and song he is also has become my salvation therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation right what we're going to see in the old testament here in a second is this pattern this model of this idea of the waters of the fountain of living waters the fountain of life the waters of salvation so what is the living waters Jesus is offering salvation. Life. True life. Jesus is saying, come from me, pull from me, and I will give you true waters of living salvation. Now, here's an important thing. Now, uh, once again, I I don't want to veer too far off, but there are many cults and many people who will say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Right? Have you heard that? You know, like we, we say that Jesus is Lord. I mean, the Jehovah's Witnesses will say Jesus is not God because Jesus never claims to be God. But here's the problem. Now, we could spend a whole series on the deity of Jesus in Scripture. Like, really. But I want to sit right here. Because in this verse, in this section, you have to get rid of this one verse. You have to get rid of this verse if you claim that Jesus is not God. Because if you keep this verse in the Bible and you still do not believe Jesus is God, then Jesus is a blaspheming idolater. That's how serious this verse is. What do I mean? Okay, so Jesus is claiming that he is the source of living water. Now, what does the Bible say? Right? Psalms chapter 36 says, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Okay, so David says, in you, O God, is the the fountain of life. Now, who is you? God. God, Yahweh and you is the fountain of life, and you is the fountain of living water. Now go back to Isaiah, Isaiah 55 verse 1. It says, yo, everyone who thirsts, right? You're hungry, you're thirsty, come to him, come to the waters, and you will have no money. Come by and eat. Yes, you come buy wine and milk without money and without price. What is Isaiah saying? Isaiah is saying, look, come to the free gift. If you're thirsty, if you're hungry, come to the free gift that God offers you. Come to the waters of life. Come to the waters. Of it's free. It's based off of God's mercy, and we're gonna see that later on." in chapter 55 of Isaiah in a second, but it's free gift of the waters of life, right? So David says the waters come from God. Isaiah say the waters come from God. God. Now go back to Jeremiah, okay? Remember when Israel was uh, walking in idolatry? There's two. There's northern Israel and southern Israel, right? right? Northern Israel got attacked by Assyria, destroyed. But then there's Judea and southern Israel. And right before Babylon comes in and destroys the southern Israel and destroys the temple, does that whole thing, they, he does that because he is, they've walked in idolatry, they've walked away from God, but God actually tells them why he's going to destroy them in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter uh, 2, Jeremiah says this, God says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So God says there's two things that y'all have done. First, you left me, right? You walked away from the fountain of living water. I'm the source of your salvation. I'm the source of your strength. I'm the source of your life. You walked away. That's one thing if you just walk away, you know, that's bad enough. You're going to walk away and you're going to go to nothing, right? Become an atheist, even though I don't believe in atheists, right? They they, they believe in something. There's faith in something. They just don't say it's God. But a whole other sermon. So it's one thing to just walk away to nothing. But he says you walked away and you hewn together broken cisterns or broken cisterns. Now, what is he talking about? idols. The cisterns. The cisterns is a jar, right? You're going to pour water into a jar and you're going to hope that it holds the water. What he's saying is you're pouring water into this jar. It's broken and it's just pouring out. He says, you come to me, I offer you living water, I offer you life, I offer you strength, I offer you peace, I offer you contentment, I offer you the source of everything. You yourself have gone, and Jesus, God says how dumb this is. You are putting all your hope, all your faith, all your life, all your trust in a jar thinking it's going to hold it. It's broken, it's pouring out the bottom. You know, God, God I, think it's a, I think it's an Isaiah or Ezekiel, I think it's an Isaiah though, but he says how dumb this is to, to worship idols. He says, it's like this. He says, you take a piece of wood and you cut the wood in half. Is this Isaiah? Okay, and he takes the piece of wood and you throw it into the fire and you cook food on it. Half the wood, right? You cook food over it. Like, ooh, that's nice, s'more. Like, that's awesome, hot dog. Then you take the other half of the wood and you carve a little figure into it and you stick it on an altar, and you bow down to it, and you say, you made me. He didn't make you. You made it. I saw you. You just carved it out of wood. That's how dumb this is. Are you going to eat some food? You want a hot dog? I just cooked it on the other half, okay? You You made me. And God says, this is what we're doing is we're taking all of our hopes and putting it in broken cisterns. This is the danger of idolatry, guys. This is, and we make, we are idol factories. We will do everything we can to not worship and find fountain of living water in God. We will find it in anything and everything we else, else we can. We can make our wives into idols, men. Right? Where we start to hope that our wives can bring me joy. Our wives are the source of my contentment. Our wives are the source of my peace. Our wives are the source of my life, of my strength. And so when I'm grumpy and miserable, who do I blame? It's the woman you gave me. Right? It's biblical. (laughs) Just kidding. If you're new here, that's why people misunderstand me. Um, You know what I've learned about my wife, though? (laughs) Stay with me. I've learned my wife is an awesome, most amazing, beautiful, godly. She's an awesome wife. She makes the perfect wife. Every man in here should be jealous. I'm just kidding. No, jealousy is wrong. You've all got beautiful, wonderful wives. She makes an amazing wife. You know what she makes? Also, a really crappy God. She does. I've tried right? I've tried to make her a god. I've, I've, I've put my hopes in her. I put my dreams in her. I put, and you know what she is? Is I'm putting my life into her, my happiness, my source of contentment, my peace into her. It's just coming right out the bottom as a broken cistern. <laughs> Don't get the imagery in there. Um, it's just, and we can do that with our husbands. We can do that with our kids. Wives, mothers, you know, we can pour all of our hopes, all of our identity, all of our strength into our children. And then what happens when they grow up and they leave out of the house? You're like, what what happened? This is why moms get so angry at daughter-in-laws. That's why there's this fighting. Because you took my God from me. You took my idol from me. You took this from me. And you're not treating my God the way that I would treat my God. Do you make him breakfast in the morning and pamper his booty? Do you do that? Because I did that until he's 18. Right? Like, but we do it with our money. We do it with our jobs. We do it with, with our position in our jobs. My identity is found in the title that I have in my workplace. And I pour it in. I pour it in. Life, strength, hope, peace, contentment. It's all being poured into that thing. And it's going right out the bottom as a broken cistern. It's not holding anything. And God says, okay, God says, these are the two things. This is why I'm destroying you, but now pay attention. So David says, God is the fountain of living water. Isaiah says, God is the fountain of living water. God says in a Jeremiah that I am the fountain of living water. And Jesus says, I am the fountain of living water. In fact, in John 7, he says, drink from me, right? So therefore, Jesus is God. But now here's the thing. Here's the danger. If you say that Jesus isn't God and you want to keep this verse in the Bible, now we have an issue because now Jeremiah says, you didn't turn from me. You turned away from me. You turned to other things that were claiming to give you life. And Jesus says, I give you life, but he isn't God. What does that make Jesus in the sight of Jeremiah? A liar, a broken cistern, an idol that you're turning to, something other than God for source of living water, right? So either Jesus is God... Or he's a broken sister. He's an idol. I'm going to just shock her, right? I believe he's God. He is God. All right. So Jesus says, I will offer you living water. I'm the source of salvation. I will offer you salvation. Now, what does the woman say? He says, She says, And what um, sir, you have nothing to draw with, the well is deep, and then do you uh, where do you get this living water? Are you greater than the father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself and as the well as his sons uh, and as well as his sons and his livestock? So the woman says, Are you greater than the patriarch. So She's still kind of thinking. Jesus is offering something spiritual here, and she's still kind of in the flesh. Like you're, you're offering me this water that's not going to quench my thirst, or that's going to quench my thirst. He says, you know, but there's a problem here because the well that we're coming from, Jacob gave us this well, right? And Jacob, he's the patriarch. It's Abraham who gave birth to Isaac, who gave birth to Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's the men. Those are the, the patriarchs. Those are the ones who God gave me the covenant with. Those are the ones that God promised we have many people with. These are the ones that God has set this up and established this. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, so our name comes from Jacob. This is, anybody who says they're greater than Jacob is, is a heretical. This is crazy. You are a heretic if you're claiming to be better than Jacob. And here's the problem with this, is Jacob made this well. It was good enough for Jacob. It was good enough for his cows. It was good enough for his kids. And yet, every single day, I come here with a little utensil, with a pot. I stick it down the water. I pull it up, go back home, use it for me and my family, whoever else. We drink it. We're quenched. But the next morning, I wake up, and guess what happens again? Thirsty. Got to do it again. And that's what I do with Jacob's well. The man, the patriarch, and you're telling me you're going to offer me water that's greater than, are you greater than Jacob? Now, in this woman's eyes, she thinks she's asking Jesus a rhetorical question. She thinks that Jesus is going to say, no, of course not. Which is why that she, Jesus begins this whole conversation with woman. If you knew who you were talking to, you would not be, I would, you would be asking me. Because yes, you, to your little rhetorical question, are you greater than Jacob? I created Jacob. Amen. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, I'm greater than Jacob. What does he say? He says, Jesus says, look, who drinks, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. And whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to drink or draw. So once again, Jesus is trying to get her to understand this is a deeper issue than the flesh. This is not physical, not about the physical. Jesus is talking about the spiritual. He says, look, you can come here every day, and if you're living to satisfy the physical, every day you will need to come back and drink. Every day, if you're looking to satisfy the flesh, you will have to come back. But what I'm offering you is spiritual. What I'm offering you is deep. What I'm offering you is your reality. It will quench your reality. Well, you'll never go thirsty Again, you see, the the reality, the truth is, is what Jesus is talking about is that if your flesh, if you're living for the flesh, if you're living for the the, the satisfy the desires of the flesh, you will always need to come back to the well. You'll always need to come back to the source. You'll always need more. You'll always need more. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to quench your reality. I'm going to give you something because your flesh is going to perish one day. And this is what Jesus is constantly reminding his disciples, constantly showing his disciples, is that your flesh will die one day. And what are you left with? Your spirit. Your spirit. Your spirit is eternal. It lives on. It keeps going. It will be here for all the rest of eternity. You will live for all of eternity in the spirit. And Jesus is saying, if you're, yes, your body needs food. Yes, your body needs, you need, you need food to eat. You need clothes to wear so you don't get arrested. You need, you need a house to cover your head and the elements. You need basic essentials. You need the flesh needs. But why are you living for your flesh? When your spirit is what matters the most because that's eternal. It's like this. You know, th- yesterday, Savannah and I and the kids were outside uh, having a little picnic on the table, and Savannah goes inside and, or, uh, to, to get something in the kitchen. And Octavia uh, asked me, and she said, Daddy, are we your best friends? And I said, Oh, baby, no. I said, Your mama's my best friend. And she said, She said, but we're not your best friends. I said, no. I said, here's the deal. I said, I love you, but I was with your mama before you. And y'all are one day going to grow up and get married to some fools, and I'm not going to approve, and it's going to be a whole thing. And and you're going to be out of my house. And I'm still going to be with your mama. And so she's my best friend. She's what matters. She's what I'm investing in. She's what I'm making sure that I'm keeping investing in, because y'all are going to be out, and I'm stuck with her right and it's this whole idea that if you understand what lasts if you understand what's eternal you understand what's the most important you're going to put your energy there you're going to put your 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 strength there you're going to want to seek to quench that that reality than the physical temporary reality and this is what Jesus constantly is showing us that the most important thing is the spiritual remember our faith one of our uh, popular quotes in Matthew he says therefore I say to you do not worry about your life what you will eat what you will drink nor about your body what you will put on is not life more than food or drink right or body or more than clothing later on in verse 32 he says for all these things the Gentiles seek after the unbelievers seek after everything that you're talking about for your heavenly father knows you need all these things but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you Right. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, yes, the flesh needs food. Yes, the flesh needs sleep. Yes, the flesh needs, needs a clothes, right? The, the flesh needs some basic things. But he says, if you don't worry about that, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you you just seek first the kingdom you seek first the spiritual you seek first my stuff you get in the business of making sure my kingdom is advanced i'll take care of your now i'm not saying that god's going to give you the nicer car I'm not saying he's going to give you the nicer house, the bigger paycheck, but here's the beautiful thing in all of this. If you're not living for the flesh, if you're just thinking, okay, my belly's hungry, here's some food. Oh, I'm I'm tired, here's some sleep. Oh, I'm thirsty, here's some drink. And the rest of my energy is focused on building the kingdom of God, of living for what is eternal the rest of my relationships are about how can I advance the kingdom and grow the kingdom, the rest of my life is put into that energy, then it doesn't matter what size house I live in. I'm just sleeping in it and I'm getting out on the road. It doesn't matter how much money I make. Once I got food in my belly and and I got my kids are taken care of and their, their diapers are changed, it doesn't matter. I am back on mission. Because my energy, my focus is not setting up shop here. It is on making sure the kingdom is built and my mind is eternal, not physical. And see, this is the problem. We talked about this with the prosperity gospel. It flips it upside down because the prosperity gospel teaches it's all about what? It teaches that God wants you to be about the physical and not the spiritual. In fact, the only time the spiritual comes into play is when you believe that the spiritual can manifest itself into the physical. If I can use the spiritual to give me a new boat or a new house or a new car, then I get into the spiritual. But God says, no, don't worry about the physical. Take care of the basic needs, take care of your family, take care of that, and then you wanna raise good kids? You don't need to buy them more toys and more junk and more garbage that will, that will fill the landfill. You need to show them what kingdom living is about. That will raise godly kids. That will raise awesome kids. Look, I, I guarantee you, I don't remember if you guys remember. There was only one toy that I could remember having as a kid, and that's just because I used to beat people with it. They're not going to remember these things, but they will remember the kingdom of God. Remember J- Peter. Jesus says to Peter, right? Peter... Jesus asks Peter he says um what does he say he says who do you say I am and Peter says I say that you are the Christ right the son of the living God and Jesus answers you answered correctly right and he says you didn't get that wisdom from the flesh you got that from the spirit you got that from heaven right this is in Matthew 16 you got this from heaven Basically, what he's telling Peter is that you are now, you're thinking kingdomly. You're seeing it kingdom-minded. You're not thinking worldly. You're not coming from the world perspective. You're coming from the kingdom perspective. And so he says, I'm going to build on this. I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, do you remember what happens in the very next paragraph? Not chapter, paragraph. The very next paragraph, Jesus from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. And the elders and the chief priests and the scribes shall be killed uh, and be killed and be raised from the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from me, uh, from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. He says, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but you are mindful of the things of men. So right, he goes from Peter, this rock, you're thinking a kingdom, you're thinking heavenly, and then he goes, Peter, you're acting like Satan. You're thinking mind. Like what Jesus says, I'm going to go die on the cross. I'm going to be taken before Pontius Pilate. I'm going to be sacrificed for the sins of man. And Peter's like, no, 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 Jesus, please. No, no, no. That, never let that happen. That's not what God wants for you. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be healthy. Jesus, don't you crazy talk. God wants you to have a happy life. God doesn't want you to have the sads, Jesus. And the cross will give you the sads. God loves you right? And then you Jesus, you just don't have enough faith. You need more faith, right? Because that's the message. You know, part of me feels like that if some of these prosperity teachers were still alive, were alive when Jesus died on the cross, they'd be sitting at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, you didn't have enough faith. Because this is not the message that God wants for you. And Jesus says to, to, to Peter, look, you're mindful. You're not thinking. You're thinking the here and now. What's going to satisfy and comfort your spirit now? What's going to comfort your flesh now? What's going to make you happy now? What's going to bring you contentment now? What's going to give you joy now? What will give me joy now is not dying. Yeah, that me, yeah that'll make me. bring me joy in the flesh. That'll bring me contentment in the flesh. You're not thinking prophecy fulfillment. You're not thinking victory over death. You're not thinking the long term of eternity. You're not thinking kingdom. You're putting your mind on the flesh, and you're making decisions based off the flesh You're acting like Satan. Get behind me because you're thinking worldly. You're walking in the world and you're not walking in the spirit because I am walking in the spirit and I have a mission to do. And if you're going to sit in the world, then get behind me because it's not where I'm going. It's not what I'm doing. Look, yes, we need to work. Yes, we need to work. Yes, we need to earn a living. And I'm not saying, and of course, the Bible says work and work as unto the Lord. And look, I'm not saying that if you get to a certain point, what I'm talking about is are we kingdom-minded or are we worldly-minded? Are you focused on godly things or are you focused on satisfying the flesh? I'm not saying that if you make so much money, you're going to hell. I'm not saying there's this cap, there's this line, okay, how much is too much? Well, it's right here, right? If you make this much, right? It's like the government. This is where a tax increase starts. No, I'm, I'm not giving you a line, right? Or, or if you have, if you're one of those food preppers and you got your, your groceries for the next week planned out and they're in your fridge and you're not trusting in God for your daily bread, that you're a wicked sinner, you CrossFitters, right? Like, I'm not saying that. Like, all, most of our CrossFitters aren't here, so. Uh, but we do have some food preppers in this room myself included. I'm a wicked sinner. Uh, I'm not saying that stuff. I'm actually going to give you a harder rule. I'm going to give you a harder line. Because I know we want the line of what's too much, what's too, how to live, how many vacations is too much vacations. How big of a house is too big of a house. How nice of a car is too nice of a car. We want that line so we could just stay under the line. That's what we want. I'm going to give you another, a harder rule to live by. Search your heart. Search your heart. Seek God. Seek God. Now look at. I can. If you let me. If you brought your bank stubs to me, and you show me a, a, a time sheet of how you spend your time, I could probably make an educated guess of where your mind is, of what you're living for. But the ultimate thing is, you're not going to stand before me in judgment. I'm not going to stand before you. And the Bible says, I will be judged twice as hard. You don't think that scares the, 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 literally the hell out of me? Like, literally. Because I, I stand, I'm going to stand before God and what I teach and what I say. But here's the reality. We're going to stand before God. And God's saying, I want my people to be spiritually worldly minded. You see, for the carnal mind, or spiritually minded, for the carnal mind, what Jesus is offering here is worthless. For the the, the worldly-minded person, Jesus offering living water is worthless to you today. For the carnal-minded person, the living water is nothing more than life insurance that doesn't affect your day-to-day life, right? It's just, it's set there. It's set in place. I've got to pay my bills on it every month. So I got to come to church and do my bills, pay my bills, and then I leave and I don't think about it. It has no effect, no bearing on my life. Then I go spend my money on my cars. I'm invested in my, my, my houses. I'm invested in my time. It's my time. It's my money. It's my resources. Vacation after vacation after vacation, thing after thing, conversation after conversation, all built around the satisfying the flesh, desiring the flesh. And the idea of Jesus coming in and saying, I'm going to give you living water, true water where you will never quench, never thirst again. It will quench every bit of your thirst. For the carnal-minded man, that's nothing more than a little cute parable because it doesn't affect you today because you're not living in the Spirit, you're living in the flesh. And this woman, just like this woman, week, day after day after day after day, you will be coming back and back. You see, the reason why the prosperity gospel is so beautiful and to many people is because it allows you to live how you want in the flesh while getting the approval of Jesus in the Spirit you get a God that says, "You are need, I am about you receiving the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the pride uh, the, the lust of the flesh. Now, I will say this: if there is a God, if you worship a God that says, I desire for you to receive the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, that is not the God of the Bible that is a different God. John says it this way, he says in John chapter first John chapter. Two, he says, do not love the world of these things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all of this, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride lo- of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever? So Jesus is offering this woman the true spiritual true spiritual water, true spiritual life. And she says, while she may not fully get it, she says, let me have it, right? She says, give it to me, God. Give it to me, Jesus. And so what does Jesus say? He says, go call your husbands and, and call them here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus answered her, you have answered, well, I have no husband. For you have five husbands, and the one whom you're with now is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to her, Sir, I perceive you to be a prophet. Now, at first glance, this kind of seems kind of odd, right? This kind of seems random. Like Jesus says, If you ask me, I'll give you true living water. She's like, Okay, give me. And he's like, Okay, go get your husband. Like it kind of seems like out of place, but if you really understand what's going on here. Especially in, in, in light of Isaiah, what we're going to see is this whole conversation flows one after another after another. And this is where I've missed it in the past. These aren't random little back and forth topics this is flows right out of each other Jesus is offering her spiritual water spiritual life and she has been thus far thinking physical water now Jesus is showing her the depths of her depravity and the thirst that she truly has why she needs physical water or spiritual water why she needs because she's, he's revealing the spiritual slavery the spiritual bondage that she's in in fact in Isaiah chapter 55 I said we would go back there verse one it says remember this ho oh, everyone who thirsts come to the waters. But later on in verse six, it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will, ab- uh, he will abundantly pardon. What Jesus is doing here, he offers this woman water the spiritual water, life, salvation. She says, give it to me. What does he do? He addresses the spiritual need for her to walk away in repentance. What does God say? He says, you want the free gift of water? First, turn away from your wicked ways and turn to me turn from the wickedness and turn to me. Turn from this nonsense, these thoughts, and turn to me. Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to give you, I'm answering your request, but here's the thing. Just as you physically were thirsty, and you came to the Jacob's well for water, you've been spiritually destitute. You've been spiritually thirsty. You've been spiritually hungry, and what have you turned to? You've turned to men. You wanted to quench your thirst of this spiritual depravity and you went from this man to this man. Maybe this broken system will satisfy. Maybe this idol will satisfy. Maybe this man will satisfy. And you've been going back to thirst after thirst after thirst after thirst. Nothing is quenching you. This is your old slavery. You have sought slavery to feed you, to satisfy you, to quench your thirst. I am telling you right now, you want spiritual water that will satisfy, that will save. Turn from the slavery. Walk away. And I will give you true living water. Turn from your wickedness and I will give you free, the free gift of living water. And she looks at Jesus and she says, I perceive you're a prophet. Now, now, here's the thing. As we enter into the next section, I want you to don't take this, don't read too much into what she's saying because what she's just saying and all she's saying is she is affirming that everything that Jesus just said about her was true. Everything you just said about me was true. Because I think thats it's that statement that we start to twist and veer off from what I believe is the true intention of this verse. Now, I'm not saying it's the wrong to say anything else, but that's where we start to veer off. We read into that statement when all really she's saying is what you have spoken about me is true. Because then Jesus, then she goes to Jesus. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that this mountain in Jerusalem is the place that we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor Jerusalem you worship what you do not know and we worship what uh, we worship what we know for salvation is of the jews but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship in the father in spirit and in truth and the father is speaking such to the word, to, uh, such to worship him God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Actually, some translations don't have the he, because in the original Greek, the one, the he is not there. I who speak to you am. I am. I am now once again this is not random you know I've, I've always heard it and I this is where I, I veered off and this is where I preach and this is what God's been teaching me this week is I heard this message always and I always heard it say well she's this is funny she's deflecting right Jesus is hitting the wound Jesus just poking the bear and she's like yeah you're a prophet where do I tell me about the worship in Jerusalem versus Gerizim tell me about that Right? It was like kind of a deflection, change of topic. That's how I've always heard it preached. And I'm okay with that. If you believe that still, that's fine. I, I just don't see that now. As I'm studying this, I'm reading through uh, Isaiah and I'm studying the passage in context and I'm reading through the whole conversation. What I see here is a very smooth train of flow of thought. I see Jesus saying, I wanna give you living water. She says, please, sir, give me this living water. While she may not fully understand who Jesus is or really what fully she's talking about, she says, give me this living water. Jesus then draws the, uh, the, the attention to her spiritual depravity and her need for repentance. And she says, you're right. And then she says, but where, as Isaiah 5, 6 says, where do i go where do i turn This has been the problem from the beginning, Jesus. You guys say, your Jews say in Jerusalem, but us in the Samaritans, because they only studied the first five books of the Pentateuch, right? They studied Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and in in Genesis, Abraham built an altar on Gerizim, so they said, this is where we worship, on Gerizim. This is where the Samaritans worship. We say Gerizim, you say Jerusalem, and the Jews, they they knew that in the Bible, said that God will be worshiped on Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount. This is where he chooses the worship. but there's this division where if i'm sinner if i'm a wicked sinner where do i turn now to worship god that god is honored by because my life thus far obviously is wicked and dishonoring to god but where do i turn now and jesus says don't worry about it all of this will be obsolete one day soon you know what the reality is is in 70 ad this actually is fulfilled in the flesh it's fulfilled in the spirit when Jesus dies, but it's fulfilled in the flesh in 70 AD. The Romans come in, destroy the temple in Jerusalem, and they go up to Samaria to Mount Gerizim, and they slaughter thousands of Samaritans on the altar, putting to death both worship in Samaria and Gerizim and Jerusalem with the Jews. And no longer since then have anybody worshiped and sacrificed on either mountain. Jesus says, but right now as we speak, salvation is from the Jews. And there's a reason for that, right? There's a reason that salvation is from the Jews. It has to be from the Jews. Salvation has to be from the Jews because remember the Old Testament. We've talked about this a lot of times. In the Old Testament, everything God wrote, all the laws, all the sacrifices, all the ceremony, all the cleanliness laws, everything was to do what? Point to who? Jesus. It was the shadow pointing to the Messiah that everything from Genesis to, to, to uh, Malachi, all of it, not just the first five books of the Bible, but David was a, was a Messiah-like figure. The reason why Moses didn't go into the promised land, you want to know why God said don't go into the promised land? Because he struck the rock twice, right? Right? He struck the rock twice. Why is that important? Why did God say, ha ha, you're not going in? Because the rock was to be a representation. The rock, the water flowed from the rock. The fountain of living water out of the rock will only be struck once. And Moses struck it twice. And God said, you did not count my name Haggai as a holy, hallowed be. You will not enter the promised land. Everything from David, Moses, Jeremiah, Malachi, uh, Daniel, Isaiah, all of them, Ezekiel, every sacrifice, every bowl, every offering, every ceremonial cleansing was all a shadow of the Messiah to come it had to come through the Jews it had to come through this source it had to go from Judea this remember like we talked about last year last week the iron scepter of Judah then the the staff of David it had to go through the, the line of Jesse it went through and it had to come through the Jews because now as you speak as you sit in your brokenness the Messiah is here and I am putting to death I'm fulfilling Worship on Mount Gerizim and on Jerusalem. And what does he say from now on? It's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This is where we're kind of ending, guys. And I um, I love, I, I love, I love, I love, I love this. He's saying a time is going to come. You see, both the Jews and the Israel- and the Samaritans, their whole system was based off of externals. Sacrifice, I circumcision, I cleanse, I observe the laws and the commands. And he said, This is how we worship. This is how God ordained worship. There was nothing wrong. There was nothing sinful about what the worship. They were obeying God. But it was all external worship. Now, what's the problem with external worship? God is spirit. God is not filled with you bringing a sacrifice and him eating the flesh of the bull. You put a bull on the altar, you put the blood on the, the altar, you do whatever. God's like, um, num, num, num. God, God's not satisfied with the worship, the physical worship of his people Israel. And hears, and hears from his physical ears the beautiful melody of the... We were talking about what instruments they played. I said the didgeridoo, but they said that's not from... That was from like yeah. <laughs> Australia. Uh, it's close. Um, the harp. He didn't hear the harp and say... The melody of the harp is beautiful to my physical ears. Why? Because God is not worshiped from the flesh. What Israel was doing and what they were only able to do was worship God in truth. They were only able to worship God from what God has spoken through his word, and they were able to worship God in truth and in flesh to offer God from their flesh what God has spoken in his truth. And that was not the point to satisfy God. They were never going to be justified and never offer true, pure worship by the offering of obedience in the flesh. God says that. The problem was their hearts, their spirits were still far from him. They were still tainted by the sins of Adam. They still had the blood and the poison of the the knowledge of good and evil, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, running through their veins. But what Jeremiah 31 says is, one day I'm going to come and give a new heart to you. I'm going to put a transplant in you. And Jesus says, a time is coming where my people will no longer worship God in truth and in the flesh, bring offering and bull to try to please God, which will never be a sweet aroma to his mouth, his nostrils, because. He is not flesh, he is spirit, but a time is coming that my worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Meaning that the spirit of the man will love my law. The spirit of the man will love me. The spirit of the man will be devoted to me, will be kingdom, will be eternal, will have his mind set on me. It will be transformed to be a new person, a new man, that my spirit of righteousness will be planted into them. They will be a whole new person, a whole new spirit who loves me, who loves my truth, who loves my will. And they will walk in me and walk in power and walk in boldness and walk in truth. They will be ones who will worship in spirit and truth. You see, I can come here every morning and I can teach you truth. I could read the Bible to you every single day. And what happens in many churches is people walk out of the room and they try to worship God in truth and in the flesh. Right? They're still operating in this world. They still have minded, minded hearts and minds focused on the satisfying the flesh and wanting more, to satisfy more stuff, more stuff, coveting, 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 wanting, 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 desiring, desiring, desiring. And here's the thing. Some of y'all are going to be better at it. Some of y'all grew up with awesome parents who raised you right, right? And so you're better at obeying than others, some of you grew up in a, in a family that their whole goal was to look good in front of the community, to be the good people. And so you're, you don't have it in you. Like, like me, I, I wasn't raised. I, I, don't, I don't cuss because I just wasn't raised to be a cusser. My dad didn't cuss. My mom didn't cuss. Every time I say a cuss word, unless something hits my toe, and so, so some of y'all are like, and around me, like, oh, pastor. Um, I've learned some like Christianese cuss words, okay? My dad taught me those. Um, but I wasn't raised in a way that I'm like, oh, this is, I'm gonna be, I wasn't raised to be an addict. I mean, it wasn't in my, my genetics. I wasn't raised around it. And so some people are raised where they, if I give them truth, they're better at it just saying, okay, I'm going to do it and looking the part and offering God the worship. And some people have better voices so they can sing out so much more and they're more confident in it. And so they'll sing out. Some people have musical ability, so they'll play and then offer that to God. Some have just more different, I would say, I call them common grace gifts where God just, used born this way, you're born with this gift. And so you use those in response to the truth of God and you do it in your flesh. And then you leave here, you've paid your dues, and you go into the world wanting more, wanting more, wanting more, wanting more, wanting more. Come back and offer God what he wants in the flesh through truth. And God says, look, the same as the Jews, the rabbis would read the truth and they would do it just like that for thousands of years. Why do you think God has decided all of a sudden that it's okay with us who now have his spirit and those who didn't have this spirit? Why is it okay for us who have no excuse? There is no excuse. We've all been given everything we need for life and godliness. For us to sit and live in the flesh, walk in the flesh, hear the truth and worship God in the truth where God says, no, 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 no. The friend of the world is an enemy of me. Let me ask you a question. I want to ask you this seriously, and I want you to think and think and think, because everybody in this room needs to answer this question honestly. Do you believe that God meant that? You need to answer that in your heart. Do you believe that God meant that a friend of this world And one who seeks after the pleasures of the flesh, the desires, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, is an enemy of God. Because I think sometimes we read these Bible verses and we say, I don't know if I really, we'll never say it out loud, but do we really believe it? The question is, is are we living Because are we people who truly want to see the kingdom built or our kingdom built? Do we see our lives as eternal, or are we just focused on the here and now? Do we rejoice in the cross, or would we rather Jesus live for another 30 years in the flesh? You see, when you're living for the flesh, this is not a Bible. Give me a Bible. Sorry, I'm using an iPad. I'm a horrible for pastor. Um, when you're living for the flesh, this means nothing. This is a book. This is a book of truth. And we can declare that. It's a book of truth that I can learn how to obey God and, and pay my insurance bills. Right? This is just a book. When you're living for the Spirit and in the Spirit, you know what this becomes? Food. Food. How many of us have ever fasted in the flesh for more than 15 days? 10 days. Five days. Some of y'all have made it past five days? That's impressive. Eight hours. Now, now, when you did it for five days, some of us probably a day, maybe more maybe a day, you were starving, right? Because your flesh, your flesh said you were hungry. when you're living in the spirit, if you're living in the spirit, you see, I want you to examine your life. How long have you gone from this? because the carnal man, this is meaningless. For the carnal-minded man, this is worthless and this is unnecessary. This is, I'll get to it when I want to it, when I have time. But for the spiritual-minded person, this is food. And you cannot, just you, like, you will not be unreminded in the flesh that you're hungry. Right now, my belly is growling. I had four cookies. That's my breakfast. I'm having 20 cookies afterwards. Don't touch them. (laughs) Your body lets you know when you're hungry If you're walking in the spirit, it will let you know that you're hungry. How many of us actually are hungry? If you're walking in the spirit, all of a sudden you will understand the importance of prayer. Because if our prayer life is weak, our prayer life is shallow, because when you're walking in the flesh and you're doing things in the flesh, you don't need prayer. All you need from prayer is to bless your food. Lay me down, my soul asleep, or something, something that was creepy and keep. I don't know. It was a very creepy prayer. But we say our little prayers. Wasn't that the creepiest prayer? I mean, I'm not the only one that just like, it's weird. Like, I don't know. I never say okay. But for the carnal man, prayer is just nothing but a formality. Because you don't believe you need it you don't see the desperation if you're walking in the spirit and you see everything in the spiritual you see that any kind of victory is going to be in the spiritual if i'm going to save you it ain't going to be through me it's going to be through the spirit you're walking in condemnation i need you to be pulled out of condemnation it ain't going to be me from learning how to study apologetic that's awesome It's not me me learning how to study the bible that's awesome it's going to be by the power of the spirit pouring upon you i need prayer for that if I'm looking around and seeing a gunman go into a school and shoot up 18, 19-year-old kids and two teachers, if I'm looking at that in the flesh, in the carnal, I'm walking away and saying, guys, we need to pull the guns out of the school. We need gun control. No, we don't need gun control. We need to stick our men in the schools. No, we don't need to stick our men in the schools because good guys with, with guns don't kill bad guys with guns. No, they do over here. And we're going to be fighting this battle in the flesh of, is it the gunner is? It's not the gun i promise you is not the gun it is the spirit and the man and when you're not living in the in the spirit you are walking in the carnal you will always look at the carnal but when you're walking in the spirit you see the spiritual warfare that is taking place and it's not just when a man pulls into a guy uh, to a school and shoots up the place it's when you walk into walmart and somebody's walking in condemnation and broken and about to kill themselves and you don't even know it When a parent and a mom is by herself in this church for the first time and has two kids and doesn't know how to provide because her husband left her. When you go to work and your your coworker has been depressed for 10 days and you just say, well, he's being a jerk. In the flesh, we will come up with every kind of excuse of how to numb pain, how to medicate pain, how to solve pain, how to solve issues, solve solutions, and you will never see it through the spiritual because you're not spiritual. You're not going to fight the battle spiritually. For the carnal-minded man, what Jesus is offering, what Jesus is saying to live in, what Jesus is talking about doing means nothing it's a parable that you'll hear and you'll walk out of here and go find a place to feed your belly. It's a question for those who are spiritually minded. Okay, this is, this is how I'm going to end, I think. We, yeah, we need to end. <laughs> I've been talking to a lot of people this week about the, actually the past month, and and honestly, um, I've been feeling a little bit of myself too. There's this sense in the in the church, and I think God's doing something and stirring something, and I'm excited. I'm so excited. I love transition, and I always feel it like God does something. And he starts stirring something in my heart, and I feel it. I'm like, and then, but I, my problem is. Just sidetrack. My problem is, is, I get like in this weird state that Savannah goes crazy. I get, she's like, David, I just, just leave. All right. She doesn't want to be around me. Because I get into like a, like a, not a depressed, but just like, oh, God, what are you doing? I'm just so focused on that. And I almost come across as depressed and just mindful and just very intense in my thinking and just wondering what's going on in my, my life and what was me. And I'm, I'm you know. Um, but I always know it, God's stirring and moving and changing and stuff. And, and I've, I've figured out what He's doing. In the epiphany this week, not epiphany, the Spirit spoke to me and just told me what He's doing in this church, and I'm excited, because what I've been doing is I've been talking to people, and I hear the same thing over and over again. They say, David, there's got to be a balance between the, the Word and the Spirit, right? Truth and the Spirit, because he's it's the same story, and my story is very similar. I used to be a person who just was all about the Spirit, and we had motions and excitement, and I did all kinds of things, you know, just, just you know, all in, and I felt the spirit like when I was, you know, first in, and then I started reading the Bible, and I fell in love with the Word of God, and it just became food and sustenance for me, and then you get into the mode where you're just studying, and then I go to college, and you're just studying, and studying, and studying, and studying, and now I'm still in college, and studying, and studying, and studying, and studying, and, and then you could almost get to the but then you realize, okay, okay, I'm, but I'm studying all the Word, and I love the Word, but, you know, like, where's the balance? Because now I'm not, like, there's not the passion, and the excitement, and the, the, the fun stuff, and the joy, And so we almost put this balance of word versus spiritual walk and spiritual movement. Word versus spirit. Word versus spirit. There is no balance. And this is what I'm excited for. You see, last year, beginning of the year, God told me that as I'm praying, I'm like, God, is like, this year is going to be marked by maturity. And what he's done with this church is he's taken us all and he's put us under his word and we have grown spiritually in the word of truth right? There is no balance. We need the Word. We still need the Word. The Word, the Word, the Word. It's your food. The problem is is that when you just have the word and the word is not accompanied, if it's just knowledge or even something you're meditating and eating on, but it's not accompanied with faith and action, then all of a sudden, you're not able to get to see the spirit live out in faith in your word, in your life. You see, when I talk to people, you know the times that they say, me and God, I felt so close to God. I saw God move so mightily and so powerfully. There was like It was like a drug, like I got so high on God. You know, when I talk to people, it's always like a handful of times and it's always, when they stepped out in faith on something they learned in church or stepped out in faith in something they'd read in the Bible or stepped out in faith that God spoke to them out in the real world is when they stepped out in faith and they talked to their coworker and God did something. It's when they stepped out in faith and they went to pray for somebody. It's when they stepped out in faith and they gave money that they didn't have. It's when they stepped out in faith and they just trusted in God and said something that was crazy. It's when they stepped out in faith. It's when they took the word of God and they lived it. It's not a balance between truth and spirit. It's about the truth leading us to walk in the spirit. to be about the spirit, to be about the kingdom. And I'll tell you, I'm so excited because I know what it is in my own life when I do this. I know what it is in my own life when I step it on faith. I know what it is in my own life when I treat the gym as a ministry. And it is better than any drug I've ever had. It is better than any substance I've ever taken. And I don't say that, oh yeah, it's a better. No, it literally is the greatest high you could ever have to walk in the spirit of God. And you don't want to give it up. As scary as talking to somebody is, I promise you, you will never walk away disappointed. As scary as it is, and I'm not talking about just evangelism, but as scary, as as, as annoying as it may be to give up some time to love on somebody in the church, you will not regret it. As as, as intense as it may be to to go home and destroy your babysitter. You know what the babysitter is? Your TV. And start investing in your children. As as, as taxing as that may be, I promise you, you will never walk away regretting it. Guys, I'm excited. We have invested a year and a half into the word of God. And we're not going to stop, don't by any means. But to raise up a church that sees the word of God as the foundation, as our food. Now, let's see what God is going to do in his kingdom. Let's go see what God wants to do. Let's go be right where we need to be when we need to be there, amen? Let's have to go somewhere. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Where do you have to go?